Chapter Thirteen of the Night Side of New York by members of the New York Press. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thieves, counterfeiters, confidence operators, etc. Once, while on the rounds with some detectives, after we had gone through some of the dance houses, pugilistic cribs, and other similar resorts, one of the party said to a detective, But we have not seen any of the thieves yet. Where are your redoubtable rogues, pickpockets, and burglars, of whose doings we read every day in the police reports? Ask me where they are not, returned the officer with a knowing look. There's not a place we've been in tonight where I couldn't have picked out a dozen of them. Didn't you notice the bartender with the ruffled shirt in the crib we have just left? That's Hank the Greaser. He was a filibuster with Walker's band and since that time he has served a term in the state prison for burglary besides having been up at the stand more than once for various offences he's on his good behaviour now but we keep half an eye on him there's more like him and worse everywhere you go with me to-night nevertheless the thieves of all denominations have their particular haunts and social meetings Terpsichore is not altogether ignored by them, and it is no unusual thing for a ball to be got up by the fraternity, for the relief of some erring brother or sister who has been so unlucky as to run against justice and get into quad. If you are anxious to assist at one of these aristocratic gatherings, buy a ticket from Hank the Greaser, say for fifty cents, and we'll take a turn upon the floor we will suppose a low-lived dingy resort somewhere in the fourth ward it is kept by an old cracksman or housebreaker who has graduated in the english prisons and whose absence from certain colonial possessions belonging to the british crown is probably accredited by that kind of document known as a ticket of leave passing through the dirty bar-room we find ourselves in a long low-ceilinged room with a very rickety and uneven floor benches are placed along the walls and the place is dimly lighted by the gleam of two or three kerosene lamps upon a raised platform at the further end of the room are the accommodations for the orchestra which consists of two darky minstrels one a professor of the violin the other a banjoist of much natural power the men who come swaggering or sneaking in are all got up in the most approved swell mob style, with flashy waistcoats and neckties and jewellery of doubtful carrot. These fellows comprise all the branches of the profession, their various designations being conspicuously on record in the slang dictionaries. The members of the opposite sex by whom the room is already pretty well filled are fitting partners for these chevaliers of the night. Yonder is a celebrated female sneak-thief who consolidates her earnings with the plunder realized by the swell cracksman who sits near her. Here and there you may recognize a pretty waiter-girl as one whose appearance is familiar to you in some Broadway concert saloon. It is but too often that these poor creatures are linked in infamy with some well-known member of the lifting fraternity. That pug-nosed, thick-set young ruffian of two or three-and-twenty has just been released from the state prison, 
where he served a term for robbery, accomplished by means of the garrote. The big woman yonder is well known to the police as an adept in the panel game, and the young fellow with her is maintained in his idleness and starched linen entirely by the proceeds of her industrial crime. Crinoline, paint, and waterfall are all on the rampage here, to the most alarming extent, and if ever a woman in all the throng had any good looks, the lines drawn upon her features by the hands of dissipation and vice have managed to obliterate them pretty effectually. Queer aliases and sobriquets belong to each individual, masculine or feminine, on the floor. Among the men you may not, perhaps, recognize Roddy the Jump, but he is there, and so are little Tommy and red-haired Joe. Yonder spangled waterfall decks the neck of prigging Nance, and you may be certain that the siren in the red Morocco boots is known to particular circles as Wild Madge. These fancy names are frequently applicable in an ironical sense only that somewhat advanced wench with a slight abrasion on her cheekbone for instance is known as gentle annie she once kept a concert saloon of her own and in pugilistic ability she is reported as being a match for any man of her size before dancing sets in there is a general walk around on the floor to the music of the dusky orchestra after this the whole throng files upstairs to a supplementary bar-room where whiskey is served out to the gentlemen while for the ladies gin and water seems to be the favorite refreshment after this the floor manager arranges the dances which generally consist of virginia reels and reels in every possible variety later in the evening the reelers will reel more than ever there is many a reel in every bottle that belongs to that bar. It would not be good for us to see it out here tonight, and therefore we will take our departure, sans ceremony. It may be that a portion of the proceeds of this thieves' ball will find its way to the hand of the hapless white for whose relief it has been announced, but the filtering process to which the money will be liable will, doubtless, reduce it to a very insignificant amount. It is not in resorts like the crib just described that one is likely to fall in with the regular confidence operator by night. This branch of industrial roguery includes a great variety of character, both male and female, and as there is usually a certain assumption of gentility connected with it, Knight generally finds the confidence operator plying his vocation in the well-frequented bar-rooms, on the steps of the hotels, and in the lobbies of the theaters. There is, in New York, as in other great cities, a class of well-dressed men whose confidence operations are immediately connected with the gambling houses. The lounger on Broadway, if he has an observant eye, can hardly fail to be struck by the idle deportment of certain knots of men, to be seen congregated here and there at various points along the great thoroughfare. They are, many of them, the jackals of the gambling saloons, on the lookout for their special game. 
By day they watch the passers in the moving throng. When they spot a provincial person or a newly arrived foreigner who looks as though it might pay to cultivate his acquaintance, one of the gang will pipe or dog him to find out where he puts up. Night falls. Broadway is all aglare with light and all agog with noise and music and feverish hurrying to and fro. The stranger sallies out from his hotel to see the sights. If he happen to be a rural person, the nocturnal appearance of Broadway is apt to dazzle his eyes and confuse his senses. Whether he be a rural person or not, there is some degree of probability that, putting up at a hotel, he has tasted of the vintage furnished by the establishment, and is in a state of great contentment with himself and the world at large. Well, the confidence gentlemen are aware of all this. He follows his fancies along Broadway, taking in more confusion as he goes. Presently a very fashionably dressed man, with immaculate linen and a moustache trained out at right angles with his nose, accosts the stranger and, seizing him rather boisterously by the hand, says, Why, how do you do, Mr. Robinson? And when did you come on from Chicago? Don't you remember the times we had together there last year? The stranger bows politely, and if his name doesn't happen to be Robinson, intimates that there must be a mistake, but that it's of no consequence. Here the confidence operator assumes an air of great self-abasement. He begs to be excused. There is such a remarkable similarity between stranger and the Robinson for whom the confidence man has inadvertently taken him, both of the same height, both were their beards of the same cut. Never mind, sir, says the stranger, no harm done, and he is about to resume his walk. But the confidence man, overwhelmed with confusion at having addressed a total stranger, insists that nothing short of a libation to Bacchus can restore him to his regular peace of mind. Acceding to his importunities, the stranger agrees to take a drink with him, and proposes that they shall adjourn to his hotel for the purpose. Not at all, sir, says the confidence man. These hotel liquors are not to be trusted. There's a clubhouse just over the way to which I belong. That's the place for good liquor. We'll go across there and crack a bottle of champagne. Crossing the street after his guide, the stranger ascends the steps of a heavy-fronted building, the ground floor of which is probably occupied as a store. They go up a couple of flights of stairs. A massive door is opened to them by a colored waiter, and they find themselves in a handsome suite of apartments furnished expensively and lighted up to an intense degree with such gas as the Manhattan Gas Company vouchsafed to supply to church and gambling house alike. Dealers are forwarding the operations of Faro at the green-covered tables. There is a splendid supper laid out in the apartment beyond, of which the sliding doors are open, affording the beholder tempting glimpses of the viands with which the board is laden. The place, in short, is a gambling saloon in full blast. It is now the function of the confidence man, who in this branch of the business is known as a roper in, to ascertain whether the stranger has any money about him worth the game. 
if he has all the wiles of the craft are put into requisition to induce him to play it is needless to say that he never wins except when allowed to do so for the purpose of drawing him on his supper may cost him four hundred dollars or the figure may be stated in thousands according to the circumstances of the case should it so happen that the stranger has but a few dollars about him wonderful is the reaction that takes place in the sentiment of his new-found friend that slimy person has a bad memory a convenient one we should rather say he forgets all about ordering that bottle of champagne he becomes immersed in mental arithmetic suggested by a phase in the game and turns his back uncourteously upon the man who so strangely resembles the robinson of his affections scowls are shot at the stranger from the eyes of the dealers who know well whom to scowl upon and upon whom to smile there is nothing said about supper the very negro waiter takes the cue from the confidence man coolness and the stranger is but too glad to make his way back to the street minus his few dollars generally which if not staked and lost upon the game have probably been obtained from him by the confidence man as a temporary loan but although these gambling-house confidence men are a feature of the city by night there are around you everywhere you go hundreds of less conspicuous operators in all manner of imposture and swindle let us loiter for a short time over our mugs of ale and cigars in this one of the most respectable taverns in the city many of the persons whom you see around are tradesmen and artificers of good repute but not all notice at that table yonder a stoutish built man with a dull pale complexion and a pewtery eye his black beard is cut so as to form a circular tuft around his thick-lipped mouth and he is very well dressed in the negligee style so much adopted at the present day in his conversation he is somewhat loud and swaggering and he makes a great show of knowing many persons who drop in and inviting them to join him in drinks that individual is out on bail at present there being an indictment against him for confidence operations in the forgery branch whereby he deluded certain city men out of large sums of money he seems to enjoy life and displays no trace of that wear and tear which industrious toil will sometimes impart to the worker there are confidence men around you and confidence women too in every group and small crowd encountered by you as you pace the streets at night the counterfeiter who works in some secret cellar or garret by day making the photograph the lithograph and the burin conducive to his nefarious objects usually selects the approach of falling night as the time for putting his worthless rags in circulation the first party in the transaction is the manufacturer he has his emissaries some of whom carry as much as one hundred thousand dollars of spurious bills ready for the market if you happen to be in a store at night or in a tavern or hotel bar you will now and then observe a policeman enter and addressing the establishment generally make some such announcement as look out for bogus fives representing issues of the wamsutta bank fall river a note is immediately made of this 
any bill of the description offered is carefully scrutinized and if it proves to be bogus the hander of it is given into custody the emissaries who thus attempt to flood the city with counterfeit bills are but too often successful in their enterprise night is the time selected by them or rather the early part of the evening because many of the dealers such as grocers and others are then in a hurry of business and less likely to look sharply at a bill before giving change for it sometimes the counterfeit sharper tries a regular confidence game he will insinuate himself into the acquaintance of some green person accidentally thrown in his path liquoring up will be proposed and the man with the bogus bills will take his new friend to some rum shop or grocery kept by an accomplice the latter gentleman pretending not to recognize his acquaintance is yet very polite and furnishes drinks as they are called for by and by the counterfeiter who insists upon treating every round offers a bill of a large denomination in payment of the score there is not change for it in the bar of course but the green man is easily persuaded to furnish the needful and is probably arrested the next day for trying to pass a bogus bill in daylight such an operation would be less likely to succeed than at night the cover of which too gives the operator all the better chance for making good his retreat shoving the queer is the craft expression for circulating spurious money with regard to pickpockets it is immaterial to that extensive class of industrials whether their operations are carried on by day or by night every crowd every car every omnibus swarms with them at night the vestibules of the theatres offer a very profitable field for the manipulations of these expert rascals working the tip is the term given by them to their enterprise in this branch for an hour or so previous to the opening of a popular theatre there is usually a dense crowd collected about the box office when the ticket-taker opens his slide the pickpocket crowds close upon the person paying at the moment presses the hand of the payer up into the aperture as if by accident and having thus confined him for a moment eases him of watch money or jewelry according to the chance offered by circumstances this plunder is usually slipped into the hand of a confederate who makes his way out with it amid the mazes of the crowd the omnibuses when filled with the people who have just left a broadway theatre are also the nightly scenes of heavy depredations by these troublesome rascals the pickpocket in these cases usually takes his stand near an omnibus where excellent opportunities of plunder are afforded to him as people jostle and crowd and struggle into the vehicle he will also enter the omnibus when it is very full and swaying loosely from the straps will spirit away many a brooch and many a watch from passengers who are intent upon the ignominious operation of spouting their money up to the driver through the hole in the roof look sharp should you have to travel on the rear platform of a city horse-car by night there is no more favorable place for the operations of a pickpocket than this a story goes of the man with the false arms who made a large income by his pursuit of this branch of the craft 
this natural-born genius used to wear a cape beneath which his arms were just visible with the hands thrust well down into the trousers pockets but these were only stuffed sleeves his real arms were at work under the cape and with the light bunches of fives at the end of them did very considerable execution upon the loose property of the unsuspecting passengers it is at night also that the sneak-thief chiefly does his prowling the opportunities then afforded him being usually safer than such as may turn up by day these fellows commit their depredations by slipping into doorways on pretense of having letters or parcels to deliver they watch persons who are shopping at night and abstract packages from the baskets or carriages in which they have been stowed there is in fact no kind of mean pilfering in which the sneak thief is not an adept and he is usually the meanest of scoundrels and the most cowardly of poltroons we once had from an eye-witness of the occurrence the following anecdote in which a group of sneak thieves is brought into bold light and shade the scene is at night brooklyn the locality three of these fellows from new york were on the prowl for plunder in the city of churches it was a blank night with them but just as they were about returning to their city crib chance took them past a plumber's shop against the rails of which a roll of sheet-lead had been carelessly left standing this was immediately lifted by the thieves who took it to a vacant lot where a council was held about the plunder the only way they could hit on for carrying it was for the strongest of the party to strip off his coat and waistcoat and having wound the lead round his body to replace the garments and button them tightly over it this done the party proceeded to the nearest ferry and took boat for the city the thief with the load took his seat upon the rail of the boat which agitated by the wake of a passing steamer gave a lurch and losing his balance overboard he went then there was a flurry and a rushing to and fro and a cry of man overboard don't be in a hurry gentlemen cried an elderly man in spectacles the night is moonlight the man will rise three times before he finally goes to the bottom five he don't exclaimed one of the remaining thieves producing his money and who being in the secret of the lead saw nothing in the drowning of his late comrade but a good chance of making five dollars by a bet this was characteristic of the sneak thief and is a legitimate sketch of a phase of city life at night end of chapter thirteen